Well, this week I watched my first ever episode of the reality TV show called Storage Wars. I don't know if you've ever seen this. I I was vaguely aware that such a show existed, but I didn't know until this week that that show has been on the air for 15 years. And after watching one episode, I got to be honest, I don't get it. My apologies for any faithful storage war, storage war viewers out there, but I, I don't know if I'll be a regular viewer or not, but I do want to share with you the premise. So the, the premise is that any storage unit that goes for a period of time without collecting rent, the contents of that storage unit go up for auction. And, and can be auctioned off. And there are these professional buyers that go to these auctions and the show follows these buyers around and documents all the drama that ensues as they bid on all sorts of stuff. Now, before an auction begins, the buyers are given five minutes to assess what is inside a storage unit. They can't go inside the unit, but they can stand in the doorway for five minutes and try to take an assessment to see what they might want to bid. And and it's sort of like gambling because you can make educated guesses based on what's on the surface, what you can see, but at the end of the day, you don't really know what's deep in in the the recesses of that storage unit. And it's kind of luck of the draw. And so you could win the auction and you could find some hidden treasure deep in that storage unit, or you could spend a whole lot of money on a bunch of junk. And it's fascinating. Of course, they they build up the drama at every turn in the show. But after watching one episode, my bigger question was, are there really that many storage units that just get abandoned? I mean, I had to think, maybe this thing is staged. How many storage units could there possibly be? Well, the answer is a lot. There are a lot of storage units around the country. It didn't take much digging for me to learn this week that according to the U.S. Census Bureau data, in 2011, around $300 million were spent on self-storage construction. $300 million. But by 2018, that number had risen to $5.3 billion in construction, just in seven years. In 2018, which is the latest data I could find, there was 2.3 billion square feet of rentable storage space in the United States. And that generates, get this, $36 billion in revenue every year. All of that money just to store our extra stuff. Here's what else I read. There are more self-storage facilities in the United States than McDonald's, Starbucks, Walgreens, Pizza Hut, and Dunkin' Donuts combined. Now, when I read that, I, I, was, I was like, surely that's not right. That can't be right. But then I Googled self-storage unit facilities near me, and this is the map <laughs> that I turned up. And so you see at the very top, that's Lake Murray. 
And then every red dot you see on this map is another self-storage facility in our community. Now, just in case you think I'm making this up, here's a list, just part of the list of the storage facilities in our area. Storage Rentals of America, Extra Space Storage, Be Safe Storage, Carolina Self Storage, Q's Quick Mini Storage, Life Storage, Morningstar Storage, Crescent Self Storage, Merit Storage, Fast Casual Storage. You get the point, right? There are a lot of self-storage facilities in our area. We were talking about this a few days ago, and a a couple of our staff members shared with me that Prashant, you remember Prashant who was here just a couple weeks ago in our missions conference? They said that when Prashant came here from India the very first time, the most shocking thing to him about life in the United States was how many storage units we have. And if we have all these storage units, you know what else that means? We have a lot of stuff. Which brings us to our scripture lesson for this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, and I'll begin reading at verse 19. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven. Where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your whole body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So this morning I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to ask for your help this morning. And the way I'd like for you to help me is to turn to somebody and ask them this question. The question is, where are your storage units? Can you do that for me? Y'all had a little too much fun doing that. (laughs) Where are your storage units? There was a man who devoted his entire life to making money, and he was really good at it, too. He was a shrewd businessman, and he was very frugal, so he amassed a whole lot of wealth. And toward the end of his life, he was talking to his wife, and he said, you know, I I know that my time here on earth is, is drawn to a close. But don't worry, because I have set aside plenty of money to keep you comfortable for the rest of your life, but, but I don't trust anybody with the rest of my fortune. I, I know that nobody can manage my fortune the way I would, so I want you to promise me to put my money in the casket with me. 
I'm going to take it with me. And so I said, surely you're not serious. Surely you don't want me to do that. And he said, oh, yes, I am absolutely serious. That is exactly what I want. I want you to bury me with all of my money. To which she said, okay, if that's what you want. Well, when he died, not that many people came to the funeral, but at the graveside, his wife asked the funeral director to open the casket one more time before they lowered it in the ground. And she, she brought a metal box, and she placed that metal box inside the casket. Later, her friend said, please tell me you did not put all his money in that casket. And the wife said, of course I did. I promised him I would. So I wrote him a check. <laughs> today we're, we're continuing our sermon series called Nothing to Lose. And our theme for the day is nothing to lose when we invest in eternal things. And, and when we pick up our gospel lesson this morning in the gospel of Matthew chapter 6, it's right in the middle of the most famous sermon ever preached. We're picking up right in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And during the course of this sermon, Jesus is teaching and preaching through a number of key concepts with regard to discipleship, including a whole section on prayer and fasting. When all of a sudden, he shifts gears in verse 19, and he says this, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. So, so Jesus has been teaching and preaching along about prayer and fasting and then he, he transitions from talking about prayer, which is a springboard for spiritual growth, and he shifts gears to this warning about amassing stuff, which is not a springboard for spiritual growth, but, but rather a stumbling block for spiritual growth. And so Jesus says, don't store up treasures. Now, the Greek word that gets translated treasure is the word thesauros. Say that with me. Thesauros. I knew you, we had some Greek scholars here this morning. Thesauros. It, it means coffer, treasury, storehouse, repository. Now, if the, if the word thesaurus sounds familiar to you, it, it should, because it's where we get our word thesaurus. A thesaurus is a treasure trove of synonyms. Thesaurus, coffer, storehouse, repository, treasury. I think another perfectly good way to translate it would be storage units. In other words, Jesus says, in essence... Don't fill up storage units here on earth because moths will just eat it or rust will just corrode it or thieves are going to break in and steal it. Don't stockpile a bunch of stuff that will one day just be on an episode of Storage Wars, auctioned off. Instead, Jesus says, verse 20, store your thesauros, your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. What Jesus is talking about here is more secure than cloud storage. 
We're talking about heavenly storage. It's better than Dropbox. It's better than iCloud. Jesus says, okay, it's okay to store Thesauros. Just do it in heaven. If you want to have some storage units, if you want to invest, then be sure you're investing in eternal things. Don't bother filling up storage units with stuff that at the end of the day is just temporary, stuff that's just going to rot or ruin. Don't, don't do that. Invest in eternal things that will last forever. In the very next verse, Jesus explains why he wants us to store up treasures in heaven. This is verse 21. Wherever your treasure is, your thesauros, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Now, it's hard to know whether your heart follows your treasure or your treasure follows your heart. Maybe it's a little bit of both. But for sure, if you want the desires of your heart to be set on heavenly things, then Jesus' is, advice is to place your treasure there, to invest in heavenly things. There's a, another time in the Gospels where Jesus uses this word thesaros. It, it's when a, a rich young man comes up to Jesus and he says to Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to the young man, well, you know the commandments. Keep those and you'll live. And the young man says, cool, I've been doing that my entire life. I am set to go. And then Jesus says something so interesting. This is Mark chapter 10, verse 21. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Jesus looked at him and felt genuine love for him. It's almost like Jesus is saying, you know, for most people, keeping the commandments would be enough. But since I love you so much, there's one more thing I need you to do. I need you to go sell everything you've got. Empty your storage units and your bank accounts and give the money all away to the poor. And then come and follow me. Do you know that this young man is the only person in the entire gospel, of any of the gospels, who is invited to follow Jesus and then turns that invitation down? It's, it's easy to read this story and think, wow, I don't know if I want Jesus to love me that much, to require me to sell everything I've got and give the money away to the poor and then follow. But, but Jesus gives this young man an opportunity to reveal where his heart is. And the very next verse says that the man's face fell. And he walked away sad because he had many possessions. That's what the text says. He had many possessions. But I don't know. The, the, the more I think about it, the more I think, I don't know if he had many possessions or 
many possessions had him. Because it, it seems that his heart was possessed by his possessions. Because again, the only person in all of the Gospels who turns down Jesus' invitation, and it's because of stuff. It's because of money. He's laid up his treasures on earth, and he just can't bring himself to let those treasures go in order to follow Jesus. And so he wasn't free to follow because he was enslaved to stuff. Jesus understands how big a temptation that is. He knows it can be a problem for all of us. And that's why he talks about money and possessions more in Scripture than, than we would imagine. You, do you know that there are 2,300 verses in the Bible that deal with money and possessions? 11 of Jesus' 39 parables have to do with money. Jesus understands the allure of having more and more and then having to spend time and energy and effort to maintain the more and more that we accumulate. And that's why he says, don't, don't do that. Don't store treasures on earth. Don't fill up storage units here. That stuff won't last anyway. Instead, store up your treasures. Fill up your storage units in heaven. But how do we do that? How do we put our storage units in heaven instead of on earth? How do we stockpile treasure in eternity? Well, if we can judge by Jesus' interaction with the rich young man, the answer is generosity. And generosity, I know that's everybody's favorite topic, right? Everybody just, who doesn't love to come to church to hear the preacher talk about money? Everybody loves that, right? On Friday morning at our men's prayer meeting, Pastor Jeff shared with everybody what we were preaching on this morning. And he followed that up immediately by saying, but don't stay at home. We still need you to come to worship on Sunday morning. Now, why did he need, feel the need to share that caveat? Early on in ministry, I, I used to tell people, listen, I, I don't like talking about money any more than you like hearing about it. And, and, and that was true. Every time it came time for me to need to, to preach on a passage like this, to preach about generosity, I, I'd be so nervous. I, I'd hem and haw and worry about offending people. And then one Sunday morning, a faithful and generous man named Eddie Sloop, one of my go-to guys in the church that I was serving at the time, Eddie pulled me to the side and he said to me, Pastor Michael, the thing I love about your preaching is that you preach about sin and salvation and all kinds of things with such boldness. My prayer for you is for you to preach about money with that same boldness. Hello now. And then he said, I consider it a joy to be able to give to the Lord. Nobody who is practicing generosity is going to be offended if you talk about it. From that point forward, I determined that I was never going to hem and haw about talking about generosity again. If Jesus thought it was important enough to talk about so many times, then it must be important. It's important to our discipleship. It's important to our faith growth. And so if Jesus talks about it that much, then I decided I was never going to shy away from it. Again. And so this morning, I want to share with you three things, three principles 
that I've learned about generosity over time. The first is that generosity is an expression of gratitude. Now, here we are. This is Thanksgiving week. We're all moving toward Thursday where we are supposed to be especially grateful for all the things that, that God has given us. But, but really and truly, every day ought to be Thanksgiving day for us. Because as Christians, we know that everything is a gift from our Creator. Everything, all that we are, all that we have. Now, sure, we can work and we can earn and we can make wise decisions and we can save, but the health and the ability and the job and all, the, all of those things are freely given to us by our Creator. The food we eat, the air we breathe, our very lives are a gracious gift from our Heavenly Father. And what better way to express our gratitude for what we have received freely received than to also freely give, to live our lives with open-handed generosity. Because when we recognize that everything we are and everything we have is a gift, then the question of our gratitude and our generosity shifts from how much of my money am I going to give and instead becomes how much of God's money do I need to keep? Or, or better, how much of God's money am I going to invest in eternal things? The second thing I've learned about generosity is this. Generosity grows our faith and trust in God. When Heather and I first got married, I was a full-time seminary student, and she was a first-year middle school teacher. And Needless to say, our finances were tight. In those days, our idea of going out to eat was going to CC's Pizza. You remember CC's Pizza? You could eat pizza until you were nauseated for $1.75. And that included your drink. And so we, we used to love to go to CC's Pizza. That was our, our going out to eat because times were so tight. But in spite of that, we were diligent to tithe 10% off the top. Before taxes, we were going to give 10% to the Lord. Now, there were times where it was hard to write that check. There were times where I didn't know how we were going to pay rent at the end of a month. But every time it looked like we were going to be in a bind, every time it looked like I was going to have to call my parents or we're going to have to reach out for help from somebody, God would deliver Twice during my time in seminary, I walked to my box at school and I pulled out a note from the bursar's office that asked me to report to the bursar's office. And twice I went there and received a refund check for $1,000 from a scholarship that I didn't know I was going to receive. And in the course of that, over time, practicing generosity, I learned, we learned more and more that you can trust God with anything. God is faithful. Now, we already knew that up here, but practicing generosity over time, that lesson was hammered home deep in our hearts. Generosity grows our faith and trust in God. And so now, when I teach couples about practicing generosity in premarital counseling, I tell them, now, I, I know that me asking you to practice generosity may sound a little self-serving, because if you give to the church, then obviously, you know that. But I promise you, 
I'm not asking you, I'm not teaching you generosity because we want something from you. We teach generosity because we want something for you. I want you to learn and to experience the same lessons that I've experienced, the same blessings from practicing generosity and living a life that is open-handed. That's what I want for you. And so if you need to, give somewhere else. Because what I really want is something is for you, those blessings of generosity. Because if we can trust God with money, we can trust God with anything. Generosity grows our faith and trust in God. And then finally, generosity guards against greed. I know it's easy to hear the word greed and think, well, greed isn't a struggle for me. I'm not a greedy person, and I am sure that's true. But what I will also say is that it's really hard to see greed in the mirror. And I think it's because it's so subtle. It's sort of like that proverbial frog that gets cooked in a pot of water when the heat gets slowly increased. That's how subtle greed is in our lives. And so first we get the, app, the, the new Apple Watch. And then we realize, well, to, to really take advantage of all the features of this new Apple Watch, I, I really need to have the new iPhone 15. Or our neighbor gets a new truck, and all of a sudden our vehicle just, it's not quite as good as it seemed yesterday, right? Or you go to dinner at a friend's house, and, and their living room and their dining room has 12-foot ceilings, and then you come home to your 9-foot ceilings, and all of a sudden it feels claustrophobic. You know, you know how this goes. It's subtle and seductive that way. The word greed is, is repelling because it sounds so insidious and bad, but, but greed is sneaky. Maybe one way to define greed is confusing a want for a need. I'll say that again because I made it rhyme and I was pretty proud of that. One way to define greed is Confusing a want for a need. Generosity is a safeguard against greed. Well, back to our, our passage from Matthew chapter 6. Jesus concludes this section by saying this in verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, if you have the New Revised Standard Version, it, it translates that last part. You cannot serve God and wealth. Or if you read the King James Version, it actually leaves, leaves that last word untranslated. It says you cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is the Aramaic word that means property or, or stuff. And so Jesus says you can't serve two masters. It's God or stuff, you choose, God or money. And one way to summarize this whole teaching of Jesus is there is a relationship between our ability to follow Jesus and our willingness to put money and stuff in its proper place. There is a relationship between our ability to follow Jesus and our willingness to put money and stuff in its proper place. I mean, it's so interesting that Jesus says you can't serve God and money because you would, you would expect Jesus to say something like this. 
You can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and the devil. Because those are opposites, right? You would expect that to be the thing that Jesus would say. You can't serve God and the devil. Or you can't serve God and, and power or fame. But Jesus doesn't say any of that. Jesus says you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. Of all the things that Jesus could be concerned about as for us, as his disciples, things that could vie for our attention and focus, he knows that the number one competitor for our allegiance to him is stuff, money. This is what John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement said, I do not see how it is possible in the nature of things for any revival of true religion to continue long. For religion must necessarily produce both industry and frugality. And these cannot but produce riches. But as riches increase, so will pride, anger, and love of the world in all its branches. So although the form of religion remains, the spirit is swiftly vanishing away. Is there no way to prevent this continued decay of true religion? We ought not prevent people from being diligent and frugal. We must tell all Christians to gain all they can. That is, in effect, to grow rich. If those who gain all they can and save all they can will also give all they can, then the more they gain, the more they will grow in grace and the more treasure they will lay up in heaven. John Wesley's famous saying, gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can. And Wesley didn't just say that. He did it his entire life. Over the course of his ministry, his income, his salary increased, but he continued to live off the same amount that he started with, and he gave all of that more and more and more away to the mission of Jesus in the world, to the spreading of the good news of the gospel far and wide. He gave all he could. A couple weeks ago, I was preaching in, in the auditorium on the same passage that Pastor Bill was preaching on in here. There's a passage where Jesus says, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and the sake of the good news of the gospel, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? Now, as I, I pondered that passage, I remembered something that I heard Francis Chan say years ago. He used an, an illustration of a rope. So what he said was, he, he had a rope like this one, and he stretched it out and he said, I want you to imagine that this rope goes on forever. There's no end to it. And then I want you to imagine that this rope is a timeline of your existence, the existence of your soul. Now, this red part represents our time here on earth. In the United States, the average life expectancy is 76 years old. So we have a few short years on earth, and then we have eternity someplace else. And so 
Francis Chan said, what, what good is it? What benefit would we have if we gained the whole world during this time on, our, on earth, but we lost this? I mean, we, we tend to obsess about this, right? We, we tend to, to think, well, now, we even wish it away. I can't wait till I, I get here. I can't wait till I turn 16 so I can drive. Or until I turn 18 because then I can vote. Or, or I, I'm going to save, save, save and work hard and so I can really enjoy this part right here. We, we do this, right? We tend to obsess about this life. But what would it benefit? If we gain the whole world, if we, if we were to strike it rich and, and live this life with all of the stuff, but we lose this. I think Jesus is saying something very similar in our passage this morning. He's saying, don't store up treasure on earth. Moth will eat it, rust will corrode it, thieves will steal it. And, and at the end of the day, after this is over, it's gone. If you only invest in earthly things, you have everything to lose because you can't take it with you. But instead, Jesus says, store up for yourself thesauros, treasure in heaven. Because moths can't eat it, rust can't consume it, thieves can't break in and steal it. Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. And if we do that, if we invest in eternal things, we have nothing to lose and everything to gain. This week in our sermon prep meeting, Pastor Trevor shared a story. He said that we have a, a Mount Horeb member whose grandfather died and, and after the funeral, Somebody came up to him and said, I want to tell you something about your grandfather. My family struggled to make ends meet. And there were times we didn't know if we were going to have enough to eat. And your grandfather knew that. And so every time he got paid, his first stop was to my house. And he gave us money. Sometimes he gave us food. But he took care of my family for years. He never wanted anybody to know, but he lived his life open-handed in that way. And so Pastor Trevor told that story, and then he said, that's the kind of story I want my life to tell. I don't want to get to the end of my life and, and, and say that I've invested all these treasures, and, and for 55 years, I never missed a college football game. I was always there I don't want my, my life to tell that kind of story. I want my life to tell the story of generosity, of storing up treasures in heaven and making a difference in this world. And I thought about that. I like college football as much as anybody else. But I agree with Pastor Trevor. And I think Jesus does too. Because Jesus says, don't store up treasure on earth. Store up your treasure in heaven because there moths can't get it, rust won't corrode it, thieves can't steal it. But instead, it will last for eternity. 
So where are your storage units? Let us pray together. Lord, everything we are and everything we have is a gracious gift from you. Forgive us for acting like we deserve it. Forgive us for hoarding up treasure here on earth. Lord, instead, we pray that you'd stir in our souls and give us glad and generous hearts to live open-handed and store up treasure in heaven. And all God's people said,